Family Day weekend, um, just to kind of embarrass some of the families a little bit out there. Kids, you guys are here. Just look up for a second. I know you guys have worship packets. Adults, if you got a worship packet, you shouldn't have gotten one. Uh, so kids, I want you to think, because of Family Day, think about your family, all right? What is your family best known for, all right? I don't have a mic. I don't have the energy, so I don't want to run around with the mic. So think a few seconds. What is your family best known for? The weirder, the better, all right? This is your time. This is your chance to, like, embarrass your family, right? Just shout it out. What is, what is your family best known for? Wow, you trained your... Hey, whoa, wait. Shh. I heard something there. Who said, who said something over there? Yeah, what, what's your family best known for? Eating food, right. Anybody? Yeah, eating food. You guys are good. Anybody else? What else is your family best known for? Your dad's socks. That is true. If you, that is true. We got an applause for that. If you have seen Jamie's socks, man, he doesn't wear the same pair often. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's sort of like Haley's Comet. You catch one, you'll never see it again probably, right? Kind of thing. Anybody else? What else is your family known for, best known for? All right, adults, you guys can get in on this too if you want to embarrass your family as well. The what? All right, thank you. Awesome. I was expecting, I was, you know what, if, if no one would have said anything, I would have like turned to, I was like, Kim, anything? You know, because anyways, anybody else, what else are your family best known for? A couple more things. Being embarrassing, is that what someone said? Wow, all right, anybody else concur? Yeah, no? I don't know who said that, so I'm sorry, sorry that. Anyone else? Loving people and wacky humor. Excellent. Um, Oh, oh, wait, are we starting like this train? Is it like getting going right now? Like where we can't stop? Is that sermon time right now? Um, All right, that's it. We're done. All right? If you'd like, you can email me what your embarrassing things are. I'll try to incorporate into a sermon sometime or whatever. Um, We, it's, it's interesting. Like, I, I remember before we had Liam, one of the things that we, we thought about was we, we got to start doing family traditions. Uh, even long before was that family traditions are important, right? Um, I, the way I grew up, we moved so much. My dad was a pastor. We often didn't have too many things that we did together. And, and we, you know, starting off with Liam, we were like, what, what can we do? We lived, in, we lived in Ajax at the time, right? Uh, we loved Chinese food. There weren't any good Chinese food places around in Ajax, even though you may think Mandarin's all right. Uh, no offense, Mandarin's cool, but it's not real Chinese food. Okay, beside the point. Whew, got that out of the way. So we started this thing where every Friday night, and many of you would know this, we go to Pacific Mall, right? Uh, if, yeah, if you don't know what Pacific Mall is, it's, it's, basically like, uh, it's basically like a large Hong Kong or a mini, or sorry, a mini Hong Kong in, in whatever. I used to be embarrassed by that because it was like, you know, yeah, you got... What is that? Like, every Friday you go there, like, isn't it the same stuff over and over again? I mean, and it's true. If you've ever been to Pacific Mall, or any kind of Chinese mall for that matter, there really are only four different types of stores. There may be a hundred of them, but there's really only four of those kinds of stores, right? Eyeglasses, bubble tea, Chinese food, and some kind of weird herbal store, right? Why are you guys laughing? It's so stereotypical. Yeah, but they got rid of the DVD stuff, right? They, they cracked down, right? So now they're like a little bit more legit. It's a little bit more legit, right? Um, 
And how would you guys know about those illegal DVD stores? <laughs> Man, looks like we're going to have to talk a little bit about sharing and stealing, huh? <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's not what this sermon's about. Right? But it, it's funny because to some of our close friends, that became who our family was about. Friday night was never to be touched because Friday night was Pacific Mall night, right, for us. It still kind of is, right? And so it, it's one of those things that our families are known for. I'm sure each and every one of you, if I gave you an opportunity to think about what your family was known about, I'm sure you could have a great list of things to come up with. As we crack into Ephesians, um, it became very apparent to me as we started to read uh, through Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 this, earlier this year and start to crack right into Ephesians chapter 4, um, you start getting this picture of what Paul wants the family of God to be like. But more importantly, he starts illustrating what God's heart is for what he wants his family to be known by. Um, let me throw out this other question, just to bring it in a little bit and become a little bit more serious here. Let me ask you this, and you could yell this out. What is the church family today known for? Think about that. I'm not talking about Forest Brook. I'm talking about church in general. If others were to say to you, hey, I think that the church is known best for this, what do you think they would say? Acceptance, community. Sorry? Prayers. Kindness. Discipleship. It's funny because when I went to my friends who don't go to church, they were all opposite to what you just said. Right? And there's, there's mumbling around because you're like, yeah, yeah, that's what's true. Well, why didn't you speak up? Right? Because if you think about it, right, how the world sees the church and how the church is represented aren't exactly in line when you read what Paul's trying to say about what the Spirit has spoken to him about, about the church and what Jesus has done to him in his life. They don't connect. Right? We, we, like, when I ask my friends, I mean, I get it. Like, they've been hurt by the church. There have been certain things. And, and I'm sure each and every one of you knows one of these types of people. You have friends. I, I, would, I would even, like, risk saying that there are some of you here who have been affected by the church in a negative way. And maybe one of the things is that God's actually leading you back into a, a better understanding of what that is. I, I, I'm pretty sure there's some of us here who are, who are in that. But some of the things that would come out as how we view the church, judgmental, unaccepting. Um, I, could, I could stand here and name self-righteous, right? We could, we could list a whole bunch of things. Let me switch that question for a second. Based on what journey we've been on, now, kids, I know you guys got your discipleship packets. I know stuff that you guys have been doing downstairs with, uh, with children's worship and, and your shepherds and stuff like that. Feel free to answer this question as well. Based on the journey that we've been on, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, and 4, how Paul is talking about this is our identity as people. What do you think God wants his church to be seen as? Anyone? Loving others. Accepting. Thank you. 
Sorry? Togetherness. Meeting needs. Outreach. Unity. Exactly. Open communication. Pardon? Telling his story, right. It, it's interesting, right? It's interesting when we think about that and when we look to Ephesians and we look at what God is saying, you know what, I, I want, this is what, this is the community I want compared to what's out there. You realize there's, there's a lot of work. There's, the, the discrepancy is huge. It's almost like as if they're talking about two different people. Uh, and, and I don't know about you, but uh, I'm, I'm sort of in this space sometimes where I think because we belong to the large whole church, and um, all these things are happening out there, and especially if you're into the politics of stuff and you're seeing the things that are happening in North America and places around the world and how Christians respond to things and all those kinds of, uh, you know, news feeds and all those, you give into the information that's out there, you realize, man, but that's just them and that's not me. But you realize when Paul's writing this stuff, he's saying, no, we're, we're all part of one body. And so if that body is showing that, and if the world sees that part of the body as that, then in, in some ways I feel responsible. In some ways I feel discouraged by the fact that, you know what? Somewhere, someone sees Jesus and his people and his body that way. And so I think it's hugely important that we're looking into Ephesians and thinking and saying, you know what? God, if this is what you are outlining for who your community ought to be, our question then should be, so what can I do? What more should I be that you're calling me into? Right? Ephesians 4 started off by this idea of calling. God calls us onto this journey. He's saying, you know, you used to live this way, and now I'm ushering you into this way. This is a calling. This is a hope. All these things I'm giving you to live in freedom uh, to do. And then we, we went farther in and we saw, you know, the fact that God was calling his people to live on this journey. And Kevin outlined a few uh, characteristics that, that, that Paul starts to say, look, as you start to live here, these are, the, these are the, uh, the virtues, these are the things that will come out of you as you continue to live this way and live this way you should, you must. And then last week I wasn't here, but I, I listened to Carl's message. And one of the things I loved about what he said was he says, this is one of those things where as God gives, as God puts you on this journey to live as a church this way, he, he gives people different gifts. And especially uh, in the church, he gave those five gifts to the church. And he says, this isn't a place for jealousy. This isn't a place for why does he have that and I don't have this. This is a place for where we work together to bring about the work of God. See, that's a totally different picture, isn't it, <laughs> of the kind of uh, view that the world has. Now, I, I also get this. Some of you may be saying, like, who cares what the world thinks? I, I, I get that. I'm not saying that we need to act up to what the world is asking of us. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the picture that we give, is it the right and accurate picture of the Jesus that we follow? I realize I didn't open up in a word of prayer. So would you join me as we uh, open up the word and uh, invite God to really stir stuff in our hearts. Lord Jesus, this is your church. Um, 
We don't own it. We have no rights to it. Uh, you're the one who created it. And we are yours. Um, Lord Jesus, I pray that this morning as we talk about what it means to engage you further and engage with one another, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would not just hover over us, but your spirit would dip down and clear room in our hearts for whatever needs to be cleared out. And Lord, that you would just fill us with your truth, fill us with your understanding, but more so fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit so that it doesn't just stay cerebral, but God, that you would just absolutely juice up our legs and our arms and our lungs and our heart to go out there and live this out the way you intended. Lord, when we leave here this morning, I pray that we look more like Jesus than we walked in. We bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're actually, we're, we're in Ephesians, I said we're almost in Acts 4, but we're not in Acts. We're actually in Ephesians uh, chapter 4. And what we're doing is we're actually finishing up um, the last segment of what Paul's talking about in terms of what the church looks like. Next week, Kevin's going to talk about, a little bit about some of the practical things that, that Paul means. Right, Kevin, I think you're next week. Yeah, Kevin's on next week. He's talking about some of the practical things about what it's like to live out this life. Um, but Paul wraps this up with a really interesting thing because he's done such a great work from Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 and the beginning of verse uh, chapter 4 to say, look, God has rescued you. You didn't deserve any of this stuff, but God put you on this journey of living this lifestyle. And this life has so much freedom in it. It's powered by the same spirit that brought him back from the dead. Like, what more could you ask for? Live in that and find the best life that you have possible. Man, there's absolutely no law against living that type of life. Don't just live a life sort of in this corner, like I got to do this right thing for God to love me or anything like that. God's like, you know what? You, you couldn't have done anything to deserve that. But that's what grace is, right? And his, the, the letter starts off that way by saying, hey, this grace that has been given to you, this love that is unimaginable, all this power that God has given you, he's given so that you could live this life. And that, that's all we could sum up is, is saying he's given us his spirit. He's given us the ability to do that by the power of his Holy Spirit. And in chapter 4, he starts off by saying, you know what, not only are you called to do this, guess what, you're not alone in all of this. Uh, I love Carl's uh, analogy last, last week. He's, he said, you know, if you want to look if we've matured, take a selfie, like look around, right? Because we haven't arrived there yet. But the other thing you could say is, if, if you want to see who's along for the journey with you is, take a selfie, look around you. These are your brother, brothers and sisters. These are the people you do this together with. And God's not just doing this individually, he's doing this as a collective. And, and really Paul's saying, this is, this is what life is supposed to look like. And then he gets into this, this really interesting passage, which, uh, you know, I, I've, I've heard so many people use in, in the wrong ways. Uh, and I'm hoping this morning that we could, we could get a better understanding of this. So we're in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. So we've just finished reading all the stuff about what it means to have a full life. And then he says this. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men, 
in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So just as he's wrapping up this whole thing about church, Paul, like a good father, is saying, guess what? There are going to be people out there who are going to try to mess around with you. There are going to be some people out there who are going to try to deceive you. Um, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but uh, when, when Liam was young, I, I, I was trying to think about this. It was just like all these illustrations of, 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 of me being a father early on was, we were coming in. Um, when Liam was really, really young, uh, and you, I used to say things to him, he would say, oh, but how do you know that? And I was like, well, dad knows everything. Right? How many of you did that? Uh, yeah, yeah, some of you hands, all right. The rest of you are liars, okay. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I said to him one day when he fell on the, uh, he fell down somewhere and he cut his leg and he wouldn't stop crying. And I was like, don't worry, buddy, it'll grow back. Right? It's like you, you hurt yourself. And so that became a thing. Anytime he hurt himself, cut himself, I was like, don't worry, that'll grow back. Yes, it, it would grow back. The skin would grow back or anything like that. And it went from every little injury to a, from a paper cut to like losing some, like, you know, like a lot of skin or whatever. And, and the craziest thing was this. One day at school, in the schoolyard, at, in, in, I think it was in like grade one, uh, you know, we, I dropped him off. I'm standing there. And I saw a kid fall down and start crying. And I hear this voice from the corner of the playground. Don't worry, it'll grow back. <laughs> and it was Liam. Right? And, and it's funny because now when I say to him, like, dad knows everything. He's like, yeah, right. <laughs> right? As they grow older, they're like, yeah, you don't know everything. All right, fine. What's the square root of six, five, you know, whatever. They're like, no, you don't know the answer to all of that stuff. You don't know all the answers to that. And it's interesting, right? Because when they're young, they'll believe anything, right? Those were the fun days. Paul's sort of hitting at the same thing, but in a lot more serious of a tone. He's like, guess what? You guys are young. You're fresh. The Holy Spirit is working at you. Guess what? There are going to be people who come in your midst who are going to try to take you off course for what God wants. Right? The, Paul is not actually talking about doctrine here. In the original text, in Paul's time, he's not talking about the doctrine of uh, you, some of the doctrines that we might have in, in the, the church today. Right? There are lots of people who believe certain things about predestination. There are lots of people who believe things otherwise of that. He's not talking about those kinds of things. Because none of those things had been established just yet. Or many of those things hadn't been established just yet. The Reformation hadn't happened yet, so a lot of those things hadn't taken place yet. What he's talking about, he's, he's coming along and saying, there are a lot of different cultures around you. There are a lot of other religious beliefs around you that are going to try to pour in some of their practices. You had the Greeks, you had the Romans who had their deities, their gods. They had to do, they had to perform in order to get the blessing of their gods. And, and, and a lot of the, if you, if you do any of the studies, Paul, Paul's actually reacting to some of that stuff. He's saying, look, there are a lot of people who are going to come and say, you need to continue doing good works in order for God to bless you. And Paul's like, wait a second, I just wrote chapter 1, 2, and 3 of this letter to say you could do nothing to get that. There are going to be a lot of people we're going to come alongside of you and saying, you know what? Go ahead, live your life however you want. 
because God, it, it doesn't matter to God. You'll see, you'll see in the next few chapters that that's not true. Right? Paul's saying, guess what? There are going to be people who are going to come alongside of you and they're going to deceive you by their cunning words and their cunning actions. In other words, they're going to draw attention to themselves. Right? They're going to trick you to thinking that it's all about what you can do in order to get this. And Paul's like, don't be like infants. And the, the analogy he's using is, is sort of this... this um, little boat in the middle of the ocean without a rudder, without a sail. And any wind will blow it off course. Even the lightest wind sort of takes it on a small little tangent. But long enough, that direction will take you somewhere far where you actually want it to go. And Paul's like, look, that, you, you need to be aware of that. You need to be aware of these things. Now, obviously, we can look today and we can see the fact that the, uh, theology and our understanding of God has become much greater. And yeah, we have discrepancies in our, in our, in our midst, um, but we also got to be on guard for the fact that anything that takes us away from the main thing, we got to be on guard for. But he says this, instead, speaking the truth in love, and this is where I want to focus the point of this sermon. This verse has caused a lot of problems for me. Um, not just for this sermon, but in the past. Right? Because if you think about it, everything that Paul has built up to, right? This life of God, this, this, this life full of the Spirit. He, he, you know, he's like, this is what God wants you to do. And then he comes all of a sudden to a halting stop and says, well, you need to speak the truth in love. In other words, it's like, wait a second. We're talking about this covenant relationship that God wants you to have with him, with his people. And all of a sudden, it's all dependent on how you talk. Oh, yeah, and when you do it, when you, when you say these words or when you say something, uh, do it nicely. Right? Do it in love rather than spitefully. I mean, we live in an information age. That, that, that's a pretty obvious thing. Right? We, can, we get information overload. Right? Anybody who's got a camera can get on YouTube and express their opinions. And there are people who do. Right? We read the news. We see all these kinds of things. And, and right now, there, there's, a very, there's an undertone of people giving out information in a very aggressive type of way. Right? The way I'm right is if I can prove to you, if I can mentally and intellectually arm twist you into something. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, yeah, there are certain things that, that pertain to the, the truth of this life that you are to speak, but it's to be done in the undertones of love. But here's where it goes deeper. That's just the tip of the iceberg of what Paul's saying. He's not saying that you ought to use your words only. See, the original Greek in this, uh, in this text is only used twice in the New Testament. The other time is in Galatians when Paul uses it to rebuke the Galatians. And, and this verb of truth, the word truth, it, it's not properly translated here because it doesn't make sense if it was translated literally uh, to our English because it, it just wouldn't make sense. So if you were to literally translate the word truth here in the original text, it would be truthing. Right? So Paul would be saying truthing in love. Right? That, that sounds a little bit ridiculous. 
But what Paul has in mind, in line with everything that he's written in his letter, is this. For a Jewish person, truth wasn't just something that you knew up here. It was something you did. It was something you lived out. And it's not uncommon to think that Paul was actually writing this to say, guess what? All of these real things that you have understanding of of Jesus, all these real things that you have experienced about with the Holy Spirit and the church, these cannot just be cerebral matters where you talk someone to death, nicely obviously, to convince them. The only way that that's going to happen to counter all these false teachings, these deceptions, if you're truthing in love. If you're truthing in love. In other words, God has paved this road of love for you to live. A a, a life of sacrifice, a a life of self-giving, a life of, of, uh, of, of affection to the brother and to the sister and to those who have a need. But to live that life out, that is how you are going to counteract these little teachings that try to take you away. So you see what Paul's doing is he's saying a life of a Christian, a life of a church, or sorry, the life of the church cannot just be one where we idly stand by and say, here are the things that we believe and that's all we, we, we hold to. It's something that we have to live out. Think, think about it this way. For those of you who are married, for those of you who wrote out your vows on your wedding day, The hope and the idea is that you just didn't spout out a few words because it sounded nice on a stage in front of people. The idea is that what you said, you actually mean to live out. And if someone were to ask you, how do you know you have a healthy marriage? You don't pull out the vows and you don't pull out your marriage certificate. Hopefully you don't have to pull out anything because people can see it. And that's what what Paul means. He says, let the effects of of your relationship with God be the truth, the reality that gives you that ability to live in this platform of love. And guess what? If there are chances where you have to actually speak out about that truth, then do it. But guess what? Do it the way Jesus did. Why? Because that layer of love that you live on, that's what he's put you on. Think about all the times when Jesus was like mocked. Think about all the times that Jesus was gone, like, you know, people went against him. Yes, he asked questions back, but did he ever, did he ever do it without love? Even to the last day, when he laid on that cross, his words were uttered in love. Forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Right? It's, it's, that's what Paul's saying here. He goes, this is what that looks like. So is that it? We just get left up to our own devices to convince people by it? He points out something absolutely important and crucial here. He goes, instead, speaking the truth in love or truthing in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. I was looking for a, um, a skeleton for this thing, just for the kids, but I couldn't find one. Um, This picture is really freaky to me. Imagine a head. And what Paul's saying is, guess what? The body kind of grows out of it. Right? Which is odd, because if you've seen any of the pictures of the fetus developing and stuff like that, that's not how a fetus develops. Right? Because it would be weird if you went for an ultrasound, or if you were having a kid, and you went for an ultrasound, and you just saw a floating head, and the doctor would be like, you know, give it a few more weeks, the body will grow into it. 
right? That, that's not how it works, right? But what Paul's saying here is, guess what? Jesus, being the head, is the source of life. He's the source of everything that you and I do. He's the captain of the ship. He's the guy, through his spirit, that gives us the direction for life. He's the one, through his spirit, that gives us the ability to do the things that are hard when things look impossible. He's the one that gives us the ability to understand, to discern. And again, like, like what Carl said last week with all these five gifts, to pastor, to evangelize, to prophesy, to, to teach, to shepherd, all these things. He's the one that gives us the ability to do that. He's the source. Without him, you and I are just flailing little fingers without a body. Or without a head, sorry. From the head, that's the source. He's the one that gives us and joined in him and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So what does this mean for us? Well, I was thinking about this and there, we're going to wrap up with this. There are two individual thoughts that I had. Kids, uh, families, if you're here, this would be an incredible thing for you guys to do. What are some simple truths that we know about Jesus and about the life that he calls us to that we can continue practicing on and on? See, because the way Paul says this is he goes, the only way you're going to be the church that God actually wants you to be is if you're connected, if you grow into him who is the head. It's not a one-time thing. Okay, I've attached myself to Jesus. Okay, good. It's an ongoing thing. Families, let me ask you this while your kids are present. Kids, think about this. What are some ways in which we can continue becoming more like Jesus through the things that we read in the Bible, through the things that we do at church, that we can continue being connected to him? Maybe you haven't done anything. Maybe it's time to start. As a church, what does it mean to allow God to be the head, to be the source who directs us in what we do? How do we pray for one another so that that happens? I was speaking to an individual. Um, I won't say his name, but uh, he, he might be here and he might know this, and so that's why I'm not going to say his name. Um, we, we were talking a little bit about um, how our, our parents or our moms had passed away. And um, I was saying, you know, my mom was probably my biggest prayer warrior. Like there were times when I was like down in the dumps and I knew she prayed for me. I knew, I knew. And, and you know, it was funny because there are times how the Holy Spirit works. I'd, I'd be driving, I'd be so stressed out in my, my mind about certain things. And I'd get this phone call from my mom and she'd be like, you know, Jim, I don't know why, but I was praying for you. this individual had shared with me and he said, you know, now that my mom had passed away, she was my prayer warrior as well. I don't know if anybody prays for me every day. How can we as a church, connected to the source who is Jesus, continue practicing 
and becoming more like what he's doing. When we're connected limb from limb, uh, arteries and, and whatever else that connects to this weird looking body that's developing out of a head and we're growing to figure out who we are. How, how, how do we start acting like the things that he's actually naturally connected to us? How do we, how do we bring together this, this body where we actually say, you know what, okay, these are my brothers and sisters around. I don't just go to the same church as them. How do we start acting in, in the ways that God actually has done these things already and saying, yeah, yeah this, is, this is the only way you're going to have life. How do you pray for the leadership of this church? How do you pray for the, the people who, who are, are, are mentoring and discipling your, your children and your youth? How are we doing all these things? These, these are questions that we have to a- answer and we have to ask. Because that's what it looks like. That's what a church looks like. And, and in the end, we have to constantly be holding on to the fact that this is our reality. This is our truth. We live out Jesus. We truth in love because he's given us that ability to do that. I want to close up in prayer this morning and uh, I want you to think about some of these things. Um, There are lots of people who've tried and done many different things with their families, even with this church. Talk to them. Talk to us. You know, if you need ideas for these things, don't let these things go. Understand that this is what God is calling us to be. Framed by his head, who is Jesus, the source, our leader, our guide, our everything. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are so good to us. You You reached out to us when we were far from you. You've given us a life that we could not ourselves conjure up. And you've given us a life that we do not deserve. But yet we celebrate that love. We celebrate that life. Most importantly, God, we celebrate you. Because without you, God, we've just got a bunch of principles that won't make sense. So Lord, I pray this morning that you would, you would not only guide us, but that you would continue to fill us as we ask these questions of what it looks, what it looks like to be connected to you, to be truthing our lives in love, Lord, give us the ability to live a life in such a way that we don't have to use words, but that people would see your spirit at work in us. Father, I pray for difficulties that are in our lives. God, I pray against the influences of the enemy who, who, who try to, to like knock us down, who, like some of these deceitful men, try to blow a wind of teaching to take us away, to think that we might not be good enough, but yet, Lord, you stand there with open arms constantly. And so, Holy Spirit, I I just pray this morning that that you would give us a, a true sense of what it is that you are. Give us a fresh eye on Jesus. Spirit, I ask that you'd fill us in a way that we would, 
we would become new today. We bless you, and I thank you for everything. In Jesus' name, amen.